You're listening to the GNU World Order, episode 354. My name is Klaatu. In this episode, we're going to talk about DM API, DMI Decode, uh, and a couple of the other tools in that uh, package, and DVD RW tools, which will close us out of the D section of the AP software series of Slackware. Before we do that, though, I'm going to take some listener email, and this one is from uh, Robert, and Robert says that there is the matter of trust when talking about open source software. Many times when I'm referred to a software to try by a friend, I am eager to try it because I trust the person. If there's someone who normally recommends open source software, I start to believe that any software they recommend is open source. And so it's a little disappointing when someone I consider an open source recommender occasionally recommends something that is not open source. This is a great point. Thanks for the email. Um, yeah, if, if, you're, if, you, if you become known whether you mean to or not, I guess, if you become known as the open source solution person, you're the, you're the person to go to for, that open, for the open source recommendations, and then one day you, out of the blue, secretly recommend a closed solution, well, a closed software, closed source software, then that, that, that's a little bit of a betrayal of trust. I mean, again, it kind of depends, I guess, on whether you were consciously being that resource or not. And, and if you think about it, I mean, in real life, in, in the great wide world out there, if you just approach a random person, a lot of times when they suggest software, there is a um, an unofficial kind of just sort of a, a, a courtesy caveat there at the end about the price of the software, about the sort of what you're getting, what you're signing up for. So if you hear someone recommend, for instance, GIMP, because that's one that actually does get recommended fairly often out there, I, I think, uh, at least in, in the circles, in the non-open source, non-computing circles that I run in, uh, GIMP is, is a pretty frequent thing that gets mentioned. GIMP and Blender both, actually. So anyway, you might hear um, people say, Oh yeah, you can you, know, you can make these uh, these graphics with with GIMP. You should download it. It's it's free. It doesn't cost anything. That sort of thing. They 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 may may or may not say that the, the key phrase open source, right? Because a lot of people out there don't they don't know what that means. They don't care about that. But but if they hear oh you don't have to pay for it. You can just download it and use it. People understand that concept. And so if you're the person sort of in the in the Bizarro world version of of that great world out there that we go out into every day if you're if you're the person who flips everything up on its uh, up uh, upside down and and defaults to open source you, you you are known now your your default setting is hey it's free you don't have to pay for it you can just download it and start using it which translates in your and my mind minds to open source um then 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 i think you do kind of owe it to someone if you suddenly, out of the blue, violate that default setting and and recommend something that's non-open, then you would want to put that caveat at the end, where it's where where you're saying, oh, and it's it's not free to use. You do have to pay for it. You you can't just go and download it. You have to pay for it, download it, and you're not you don't own the software. You're just you're paying for a license to use the software. That's an important thing to mention. If if everything else you've ever mentioned has been open source, so there is this, as Robert in his email says, uh, there is this sort of mention or this um, this expectation or matter of of trust, and it's important, I think. I mean, whether you're 
building a personal brand as like the open source uh, representative in your in your community, whatever that community m- might be, or whether you're just kind of doing what you normally do, it's important to understand that if you frequently recommend open source, then if you're if you're violating that, if you're going against that trend, then make it explicit, make it very clear that this solution isn't open source. I mean, especially if it's a thing that is zero dollars to use, that 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 confuses the matter the the issue even more because now you've you, you normally recommend the stuff that's zero dollars and open source and now you're recommending something that's zero dollars but not open source make that clear so that you're not sort of betraying anyone's trust whether that trust is implicit or explicit or or voluntary or involuntary it's something to be aware of it's something that i've become more aware of in my own life in the past couple of years i've gone to places for sure that i thought okay, this is going to be, this is going to recommend open source solutions for this task. And then maybe I'll find something, but it has closed source components that aren't quite, quite advertised very well. And so you adopt something and you think, okay, well, this is, this is it. This is what I'll use. It's open source. I found it on this thing. And then later you realize that it wasn't entirely open source. That can be annoying. And I would, I I strive not to be that, I, I strive not to do that in my own recommendations. Okay, so that's that's everything that I can think to say about that, but it's, it's a great point. Thanks a lot for the email. And uh, let's look at some Slackware packages now. So the first thing that I want to talk about is DM API. DM API is out of the, um, the AP package set in Slackware. That's where we are. If you'll recall in the previous, not, not the previous episode, but the previous episode where we were talking about these tools, we were looking at diff stat and diff, util, diff utils and DD rescue and so on. So we're still in AP. We're in the D section, and we're going to try to clear out the D section this time around. I think we can do it. And the first one is DM API. DM API, by its own by its own description in the Slackware description file, says that it is a library required to use the data management API. That's DM API or DMAPI. This Interface is defined in the X Open Document Systems Management Data Storage Management XDSM API dated February 1997. It states here that the DMAPI or the DM API library is used by the XFS dump utility. And the package contents uh, is pretty sparse. It has user include xfsdmapi.h, so a header file, a libdm.a, so that's a library archive file, and then a man page, which doesn't really say a whole lot. Um, I did I did look at it at one point. Um, yeah, it's like five lines, and it simply points you to this white paper at um, at opengroup.org slash online pub slash 9657099 slash talk. Uh, that's toc.htm. It's a really good paper. That's good. Uh, that's that's my summary of of th- this package. Um, you should go read this this paper. It's really really good. It talks about DM API and what it brings to uh, to to the system beyond what is defined by POSIX. And I can't. I mean, it would be unreasonable. I feel to try to summarize the whole thing because it, it kind of goes all over the place. But it does have a, a lot of interesting points about what is contained in DM API. And it's not super clear from the paper. I mean, it sometimes is. Sometimes it calls it out very specifically. It's not always clear 
what DMAPI is bringing to your system beyond be, be, because POSIX lacks the thing or or what it's bringing to your system in addition to what POSIX has, if that makes any sense. So it's a little bit unclear sometimes as to like how cool this is or if it's just sometimes uh, an alternate kind of optimized way to do something that happens to be possible in POSIX as is. But um, it, it's a pretty important little library for for file, well, well, I mean, data management. Obviously, it's called Data Management API, but it, it does a lot with file attributes like metadata um, or, or really file attributes, I should say. But um, you can think of that, I guess, as, as metadata. I think that counts as a type of metadata. Uh, some stuff with permissions and certainly um, quite a bit of stuff with how files are defined on disk with regards to sort of sparse files. So if you think about the way that, that your computer system saves data to a hard drive, you and I, we, we, kind of, we kind of think of it in very simplistic terms, possibly, and you, you just think, okay, well, we've got a drive here, we've got this, this pool of data, and when I arbitrarily, suddenly, randomly create a file, uh, that file is placed on the disk, and it's just that simple, right? I mean, it's an icon. You can see it in your file manager, so that must be the file. There it is. I can see it right there. It's a .mp4 file. That's not a big deal. Well, of course, it is a big deal to your computer because you, you especially you know, to the hard drive specifically, to the thing that is managing that data, because it doesn't know what your plans are for that for that file. It doesn't know if that's going to be a big file or a small file. Is this a file that's going to last for years and years to come, or is it just a temporary file that you're going to ditch in a couple of minutes, or that's going to disappear at the end of your login session? It has no way of knowing any of this the, of your plans for this file, so it has to figure out how it's going to make room on your in, within your pool of, of available space. It needs to make room for this file that it had no idea it was going to have to make, and it has no idea what the future of that entity is. That's a, a, a bizarrely tall order for sort of system management, or, or more specifically, I guess, data management. But the DM API helps keep this flexible because it has, I mean, POSIX does have some allowance for empty space in a file. And there is explicitly a directive in, in the POSIX spec, uh, specification that says if there is blanks, you know, if there, there are gaps, there are holes in a file, uh, then it should, it should return zero for that. I guess as opposed to simply crashing or, or not knowing how to deal with intentionally empty space. Um, but DM API has has a little bit more by way of managing that, of, of handling the, the, this, these gaps or these holes in files. And those are important because eventually those are going to have to get expanded with data. Or if you're backing up a file, the, what, what do you do with that empty space? How do you represent that when you're backing up the file? So that's one of the many things that, that DM API is able to put some definition around. There's also the concept of ownership and access permission. DM API has a bunch of stuff that deals with that as well. And then as I say, file attributes. There are extended file attributes that DM API can handle. Data written to a disk doesn't necessarily have extended attributes, not really. If you, for instance, DD some text onto a onto a, a hard drive or into a, onto a, into a space on a hard drive, then then there are no attributes of that file. It is just 
pure data on, on a drive. But DMAPI allows you to have further attributes, further, um, further information about the files that you, that you save. And that could be anything uh, from you know, file creation time uh, to modification time to, um, to fancier stuff like what, um, what label is this file going to get? Can I tag this file with some kind of information to make it easier for some tool that I'm developing to find the file later? And so on. So that's that's what DMAPI does. It is an interesting little library and a more interesting, I think, paper. Um, I will definitely link to this in the show notes because if you're interested in the way that files are handled and stored and how all of this stuff kind of comes together, this is a must-read. Okay, next up is DMI Decode. This looks like DMID Decode or something like that, but it's actually DMI Decode. DMI stands for Desktop Management Interface which, if you don't know what that is, uh, you may recognize something called the SM BIOS, which is uh, the System Management BIOS, which is, you know, BIOS. And I think generally we all kind of know what BIOS is. I mean, even even back when I was still a user of a computer that famously did not have BIOS. I mean, it had, obviously, firmware, but it wasn't... They, they didn't call it BIOS. They called it firmware. Uh, even then, I kind of knew what BIOS was. I just didn't know exactly what to do in it or or, or how to how to really... what it was for and, and, and how to get there and so on. Uh, I figured it out, though, uh, thanks to Linux. Anyway, um, BIOS or the, the desktop management interface this is the it's on the board of the computer that you are using it's the it it's the hardwired like literally hardwired uh, information on the on the computer that that basically has to be there in order for the computer to well to do anything after you power it on right i mean if you you can collect a bunch of computer parts and string them together like a hard drive and some uh some i don't know a, a, a dvd drive or something and maybe some usb ports maybe or like a usb card a pci card with usb ports on it you could string all those together i guess and and apply power to them, and none of them separately are going to do anything at all. They need the the firmware to kind of control all that stuff, and certainly you'd need you'd want that CPU. Um, but but even again, I mean, if you had a CPU thrown in there, you could string all that stuff together, and it just wouldn't know what to do if you powered it on. And the reason that your computer sort of comes to life and knows to look for a bootloader and then to look for a bootable kernel. That's all a function of of the firmware of the BIOS, or, or rather of the firmware. And BIOS is the 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 way that you sort of access that firmware, more or less. Um, so DMI decode is a way to on your computer that is running on on your Linux computer that is currently running. DMI decode allows you to see the information contained in your uh, your your SM BIOS and to query it as well. So the the the, the easiest command of DMI decode. Oh, and on so in Slackware it is in user S bin. So that might be by default not on your path. I mean it isn't by default on your path. So unless you've added it yourself, it it won't be there. Meaning that you can type in DMI decode and hit return or enter. And it'll tell you that that command does not cannot be found. Um, but if you give it the full path, user sbin or slash user slash sbin slash dmi decode, then it tells you that it can't access 
slash sys slash firmware slash dmi slash tables slash smbios underscore entry underscore point scanning slash dev slash mem for entry point slash dev slash mem uh, permission denied so this is kind of a cool error message because it kind of tells you what it is trying to look at which which itself is is sort of nice to know because without knowing that it is a little bit of a magical command it's just something that you you could type in and and get a bunch of information from and not really understand where where that information is being kept but if you do the slash user slash sbin slash dmi decode uh, preceded by sudo or sudo and then type in your administrative password or if you, if you don't have uh, sudo set up you can do su space dash c space i guess just slash user slash sbin slash dmi decode then you can type in your root password and still get the information whichever avenue you go i recommend using pipe less because it is a lot of information and here it is it, it gives you DMID code 3.0 getting SMBIOS data from SysFS. SMBIOS 2.7 is present. 60 structures occupying 240, uh, no, 2,445 bytes. Table at 0xBC41B018. Handle 0x0000, DMI type 0, 24 bytes, BIOS information, vendor, American Mega Trends Incorporated, runtime size 64 kilobytes, and so on. So this is a bunch of information about so this is information about the bio, uh, the motherboard and the firmware contained uh, on it or in it on it um, that's in my computer right now. So you're you're seeing a report if you're using this on what is kind of running underneath your OS and and there's some useful stuff here too. I mean I'm sure it's all very useful, but I mean I mean certainly if you wanted to, for instance, check to see how recent your your firmware is that this might be a good avenue to, to, to find that out but you also get like some of the settings that that have been that, that are that are flipped on or off so pci is supported bios is upgradable bios shadowing is allowed boot from cd is supported selectable boot is supported bios rom is socketed edd is supported 5.251.2 megabyte floppy services are supported i didn't know that for instance and, and so on so it, it just kind of it runs down the list of all the different features that your motherboard has available to it um and and it keeps going there's there's a bunch of different places here um, a bunch of this was supposed to be filled in, apparently, by the manufacturer, and they haven't been, so I don't know what, really what that means. Uh, it tells you information about the CPU that is currently socketed into it. Socket des designation, socket 942, type central processor, family effects, manufacturer AMD, and so on. So it, and it gives you a lot of the different things that you would find when you're um, doing CPU info, for instance. It... It does identify that FPU is um, a, a, a feature. VME is a feature. That's kind of important. Um, let's see. MSR, I don't know what that is. APIC, that's that's there. MMX, technology, SSE, SSE2 is there, and so on. Uh, HTT. So, yeah, there's a bunch of features sort of listed there. It tells you how many cores you have, and so on. And you can kind of just, I mean, it's a lot of information. You pipe it through less, and you get just all kinds of information about a lot of different things attached to your motherboard. So check that out. It's DMI decode. Now, according to the DMI decode man page, you can also query things kind of specifically. Well, first of all, I should also mention that you can 
you can redirect the memory um, location. So default is slash dev slash mem, but with the dash dash devs dash mem, uh, you can point it somewhere else. I don't know why you need to do that, but you can do it. Um, you can also just query a specific keyword with dash dash string and then keyword. So for instance, if I wanted to do sudo dmi, no, I have to do it with the full path, uh, and then dash dash string and uh, processor dash family. Let's do that. It's asking me for my password again because it's been too long since previously, and it returns fx, which is correct. Uh, I could do string um, processor dash manufacturer, and it returns AMD, which again is correct. So there are a couple of different keywords that you can use. Well, there's not a couple. There's there's a a slew of keywords that you can use, and you can find those in the man page. There are also there is also a dash dash type option, such uh, so that you can tell DMI decode to display the entries of a specific type. So for instance, BIOS, system, baseboard, chassis processor, memory, cache, connector, slot. So you can kind of narrow down some of the information. There are a couple of different options there, but I'm not going to go through them because I don't, I, I wouldn't be able to really demonstrate how they're used, but you can check them out. They're there. Um, a lot of it is for, I think, debugging and testing and so on. Um, not stuff that I need. Um, but yes, if you're doing that sort of thing, if you're, if you're hacking on either firmware itself or, or, something that needs to know what firmware is available or what features are available, DMI decode is um, a pretty good place to start looking, I would think. Okay, next up is BIOS decode. That's in the same package. It's, it's part of the DMI decode package in Slackware. And it's, it's similar. It parses BIOS memory and prints out information. So if we do sudo, sudo slash sbin slash BIOS decode just as is we get some output it's it's only about a screen full it's not it's not quite as much as dmi decode it's for instance acpi 2.0 is present oem identifier is alaska i don't know what that means sm bios 2.7 is present structure table length 2445 bytes we've seen that before structure table address we've seen this before a couple of thoughts on this first of all the man page explicitly lists as a bug and i'll quote here most of the time bios decode prints too much information you don't really care about addresses or not enough because it doesn't follow pointers and has no lookup tables so that says to me that ultimately this is a tool for verification. It's not something, I don't think you would probe this to actually glean information to then base your work on. I think it's something that you would check if something is, is not working the way that you would expect it to work. That's kind of the sense that I get about this tool. Now, I don't know because I've never used this thing before and I've certainly never used it in a practical sense, but it, it does tell you, for instance, whether, you know, it checks whether ACPI is present. That would be important, probably. You would need that if you're if you're writing something that's going to use ACPI. Then that would definitely be something you'd want to know about the system. Maybe you want to know if, if it's being detected correctly, because maybe on the box that said the motherboard did support it, and you're not so sure now that that's being picked up. PNP is that supported or not? And if so, where's that getting registered? Although, as the man page says, you don't care about where it's being registered, actually. So, and and you can look at the uh, the source code for BIOS decode. Of course, I mean it's open source. Pretty straightforward. I mean, insofar as I have no idea what it's actually doing, but I mean it is. It it it's if you read it, 
It's in it's written in C, and it it's very clear as to what its function is. You know, it it, it definitely has it. Well, it's got very very nicely uh, clear clear function names first of all, and even the you know if you look at the arguments and so on, you. you you get the sense that you understand exactly what's going on here. It's it's pretty straightforward. It's very simple to understand, I should say. The output versus the source code that you're looking at, they match up. You look at it and you you just think, oh yeah, I can see how that would have produced that output, and I can see that there's not a whole lot of options here because it, this is all it's doing. It's just looking at the memory f- uh, location, doing some some formatting of of what it detects. And dumping it out into into the screen, so it's it's a kind of a nice little application to look at actually, because it is it's pretty straightforward, um, at least to look at. Again, I'm not actually saying that it's easy to have written. I I, I have no idea uh, how that sort of thing, how people figure that stuff out. It's it's amazing. So anyway, ownership is the next tool in this bundle, and I've never used it and cannot use it really. It's called, or rather, it's um, ownership, and the man page says that it's ownership, Compaq ownership, that's Compaq, the brand of computer, C-O-M-P-A-Q, ownership tag retriever. Ownership retrieves and prints the ownership tag that can be set on Compaq computers. Contrary to all other programs of the, D, uh, the DMI decode package, ownership doesn't print any version information or labels, but only the raw ownership tag. This should help its integration into scripts. Well, I don't have I don't have a compact. I, I don't believe I've ever had access to a compact at all. So um, I can I can run ownership, but it doesn't it doesn't return anything, and I don't know how I would be able to emulate that. I probably maybe could emulate it um, because you can set according to the man page where it's looking for this information, and that is again the dash dash dev dash mem file, and by default it looks to dash or slash dev slash mem, but I wouldn't know what information to put into a spoofed slash dev slash mem, so I cannot cannot do that, cannot emulate the functionality of ownership. Okay, and then finally there is a VPD decode. VPD stands for Vital Product Data, and it is information that can be found in almost all IBM and Lenovo computers. Available items are BIOS build ID, box serial number, motherboard serial number, the machine type and model, and then sometimes the BIOS um, release date and the default flash image file name. I happen to have a Lenovo and was able to run this, and the output was remarkably similar to the other tools we've already covered. It, it simply talks about, I guess, some attributes that, or some metadata um, about the system that would not be present on other, on other systems. So for instance, if I do run vpd decode with sudo on this computer that I'm on right now, on my Slacker machine, uh, there are no vpd structures found. But if you do it on a Lenovo, like on on my work laptop, if I run it, I do get the information advertised. I get the BIOS build. Um, I don't know if I got the box serial number, but I definitely got the machine type and model, which was kind of cool. And you'll see this in other systems too. There are sometimes um, other systems that will have a specific command to get some kind of magic designation for for the thing that it's running on. I think. If I recall correctly, Raspberry Pi has something like that, for instance. 
And then I know that Apple has, um, a, I think it's just machine command, possibly, something like that. And it gives you sort of like some kind of more or less human-friendly designation of that computer, which is useful for for Apple products especially, and, and Raspberry Pi, really, because they, they tend to just kind of designate the product sort of by year or by by revision number or by description and it's really hard sometimes to to look back and figure out what it is exactly you have i I literally have a raspberry pi right here on my desk that no matter how hard i look online i cannot identify this thing because as far as i can tell none of the pictures on the raspberry pi foundation site match this this description there's there's but one well two uh, USB ports, but I mean, it's um, it's stacked on top of each other, so it's one block of, of USB ports, and everything on their site seems to have two blocks. Uh, there don't seem to be enough GPIO pins, and uh, the layout isn't the revision A version of the Pi, so I don't, I have no idea what version of Pi this is. Uh, it does say on the, on the board, Raspberry Pi 2011, but it doesn't seem to really match up anything that I see having been released in 2011, so I don't know. I don't know what kind of Pi that is. Don't know how to find out either. I guess I could try installing Raspbian onto it and then doing a um, doing one of these commands to, to see if it can sort of self-identify itself, but it is a little bit tricky sometimes to know what, what you're actually on. Okay, let's have a coffee break, and let's come back and talk about DVD-RW tools. Yeah, let's do that. I don't know how long we can talk about it, but we'll, we'll try. We'll give it a good go. At least we'll get a, a, a coffee out of it. See you soon. Okay, that was a. I know this is a little bit of a late coffee break, and I do apologize for that. But I didn't want to break up one one complete package uh, with with a with a coffee. So uh, I do have my coffee now. I have had to purchase a new brand of coffee because the little local supermarket in my town, which has like 400 people in it, so we have a very small little supermarket. Um, they, they didn't have a whole lot of coffee choice this time around. I don't know if it's uh, people consuming more coffee because of the global pandemic or what, but I had to I had to get a different brand. It's called Jed. Jed's Coffee. It's it's a New Zealand brand, I think. And I mean I've certainly never come across it until New Zealand. But um it's it's actually really good and, and interestingly I have tried it before and it was really bad. But this time around what I did was I took it into my own um, I, I took it upon myself to make a blend, which I, I know I've kind of thrown that around several times before, but this time I, I actually did it pretty intentionally because I remembered thinking that the the darker roast of Jed's was too dark, really, for a for a normal cup of coffee, and the lighter roast just didn't taste like coffee at all. So this time I bought two bags, one light, one dark, and mixed them all together in one big jar, and that's what I'm using. And it's actually it came out really nice. It, it it's sort of it's the perfect mix so um that is 
Jed's Coffee in New Zealand if you want to try it. I don't recommend it necessarily, but I am enjoying what I've got. Okay, so let's talk about DVD RW tools. This is a collection of tools to master DVD plus RW plus R dash R and dash RW media. And look, I've, I've said this before, I think, in the CDR episode, but I, I'm not a fan of of optical media. I've never really, really loved it. I feel like it overpromised and underdelivered. About all it did was make it easy for independent artists to distribute their music for a while, back before digital downloads had really um, become so common that that it was the obvious smarter choice. Optical media, I don't think, is going to be something that people look back at with fondness. I understand people looking back with fondness with with fondness um, at at vinyl. To even a lesser degree, I can kind of see it for tape, uh, for cassette tapes, but CDs and DVDs, I just, they're, they're really just, I feel like they're not really a, a media so much as they're just a really bad storage solution. Um, although I guess I'm going to call them media because it is technically media. So anyway, I, I'm not that excited about terminal commands that have anything to do with, with CDs and DVDs. Now, with that being said, I, I do acknowledge the importance of these commands because certainly someone who has to deal with, with this type of media on a daily basis would probably really, really come to love these commands. I just never had to deal with them myself, luckily, and don't want to start. So anyway, we'll do a user bin DVD plus RW dash book type, and then we'll just do a dash INQ on slash dev slash in theory DVD. Um, it says that it is unable to LG underscore FAH operation not permitted. So we're going to just add a sudo, sudo to that. So uh, sudo slash user bin dvd plus r dash book type space dash inq space slash dev slash dvd. It says unit will brand dvd plus r media as dvd dash rom. Unit will brand dvd plus r dl media as dvd rom. So there we go. There's our output from the dash inq. Now I, I actually don't know what in, dash inq is. I don't know what that means. I'm assuming it means inquiry or inquire, but I, I don't know for sure because there's no man page. Okay, so um, there is a dash h or a dash dash help that, that gives you a list of the options. And those options include dash i and q, uh, and the, the it's also uh, dash media, dash unit, dash unit plus rw, and so on. So we'll we'll try a couple more of these for fun. Um, and again, sudo seems to be necessary in this case. So I do know that I have some media in in this um, in this drive. I have a blank disk in this drive. So um, I will again do sudo user bin dvd plus r dash book type dash inq dash media dev d, d, slash dev slash dvd and it tells me that the current media book type field is 01h which is the dvd rom specification revision one the book type is i mean i, I haven't looked at this in ages now but um, it's part of the specification the 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 dvd slash cd you know the optical media specification there was a, i think it was an orange book and it, it specified what kind of media would would be used for different kinds of data or something like that, or, or what, what kind of media could be read on different devices. I'm not clear on it, and I don't because I don't remember right now, and I, I don't want to go back and look because it's just not that important to me. But there, that's what the book type is referring to, is this, this sort of specification of, of, the, of the media types. I think it was an orange book I, that, that 
I have a memory of that because I remember when I first encountered it way back when I was first starting to use optical media, I just couldn't help but actually picture an orange book. Uh, that's about it, I think, for this command. I mean, you can inquire um, a couple of different 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 properties, and it will either return to you some information or something saying that it has no ability to fulfill what you've been asking. So for instance, if you do a dash inq dash unit plus rw on this particular media, it tells you that book typing is not supported on DVD plus RW. So there you go. But that it will brand a DVD plus R and RW or RDL as DVD dash ROM. So which it it, it, it returned that as well uh, earlier. Um, and that's fine. So let's do a dash INQ dash DVD plus R dash spec on DVD. And yeah, it's just telling me that it's going to brand it as a DVD dash ROM. Okay, so that, that was... I think all we can do really with the book the book type command. Now the next command I can't really use. I mean I can't demonstrate for fear of erasing a perfectly good blank DVD. I mean this is probably my last DVD that I, I have access to. Um, I think I have still some CDRs stashed in a closet, but I, I, I this is my as far as I know my last DVD, and I may need it for Slackware 15, so I don't want to don't want to waste it. Um, and DVD plus RW dash format would indeed format this this media. Um, it says on the, the again no man pages, but on the website for this tool, it says um, Virgin BD and DVD plus RW media needs to be initially formatted prior to usage. Now the the command grow ISO FS uh, detects when a drive or when a media has not been formatted yet and initiates a format. So I, once again, don't know why anyone would use this command specifically sort of on its own. I, I would feel like it would just, it would be possibly easier to just use grow ISO FS. But I guess it, maybe it depends again on, on what your use case is. Like maybe you don't need grow ISO FS. And so it doesn't, it, it wouldn't make sense for you to use that. Okay, so um, next is the DVD plus RW dash media info, which uh, you simply run against your DVD device. So I'm going to do sudo DVD plus RW dash media info slash dev slash DVD. And it returns quite a lot of information about the disk that I have in the drive, which is kind of nice. It tells me the uh the the brand of the the drive that i have it tells me what is mounted inside of it which is 1bh comma dvd plus r current write speeds are 8x uh, and it gives me a rundown of what that means kilobytes per second for each for each speed that we're that, that i have access to the write performance the read structure and so on so it gives me a lot of data about the disk i don't exactly know what i would do with that data but it is, I, I imagine, would be very, very useful data um, if you're troubleshooting something or maybe if you're trying to um, see if, if, well, certainly see the specifications of your drive. I mean, I, I wouldn't know just looking at this drive what the write speeds that, that it supported were. I wouldn't know that. So getting it through the software or firmware, uh, is it does seem rather helpful. Okay, the next command, I'm sorry to say, I really can't test, actually, just like the uh, format one. This is dvd-ram-control, and uh, apparently it is to get or set control properties for a dvd uh, ram 
disc. And I don't know, I, I don't have a DVD-RAM disc, so I, I can't really demonstrate what this does. Um, I've never, I don't believe I've ever had one. But um, you can check or set features of a DVD-RAM disc with DVD-RAM control. Okay, and last but certainly not least is Grow ISO FS, which that seems, this one actually seems pretty useful to me. Because uh, it, it, it applies to more than just just DVDs, certainly. In fact, I don't even need the, the uh, DVD drive hooked up for this. It, it, by its man page says that it's originally designed as a front end to make ISO FS to facilitate appending data to ISO 9660 volumes residing on random access media such as DVD plus RW, DVD-RAM, plain files, and hard drive partitions. So right there you know ISO 9660 is related to UDF, or rather it is UDF. So this could be universally useful to grow ISO FS for more than just physical DVDs. It, it is something that you can use for, um, for, for any UDF file system, probably. So uh, the make ISO FS command was, I think, covered in the CDR tools um, episodes in the, that I've already recorded, and if not, we we only need to know a little bit about it. So we can do a make ISO FS. Here's a I've got a demo directory here, which has let's see what is in my demo directory. Yeah, a little test C++ program. So that's fine. So we'll do a make ISO FS dash O for output my DVD dot ISO. So we're going to create a file called mydvdiso, and we're going to create it out of this directory that I happen to have in my home in my home folder called demo. And it very quickly creates that for me, uh, and it says that, it, I mean, it's impossibly small, really. Um, so I'll do an ls-l of mydvd.iso, and it tells me that it is 368 kilobytes large. So that gives us an ISO to mess around with, and it's a tiny one, so it's it's going to be easy to spot if we if we make it grow by any amount. So the um, the the way to do that with grow ISO FS would be grow ISO FS dash capital M, which stands for merge. Now there's no long option there; you can't do dash dash merge. It's just dash capital M, and we're going to point it to mydvd.iso. So we're merging whatever we're about to do with with grow ISO FS into an existing ISO. That's important to 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 realize because that's um, that'll be kind of I mean if if we were doing it to a, an actual physical DVD then we would have pointed it to dev DVD. But in this case we're doing it to a file, so we're just pointing it to the file. And now we just have to tell it what we want to merge with this file. And we could choose anything, really. Um, let's see if I have anything anything, anything substantially larger to, to merge here. Um, let's do an ls-lh, or actually a du-h on this graphic folder. That's 11 megabytes, full of graphics. So we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll just append graphics onto my DVD ISO with Grow ISO FS. Uh, it took a little bit longer, gave me a little bit more um, output, but now if I do an ls-lh on my DVD ISO, it tells me that, yeah, it's 11 megabytes now. So it's quite a lot larger. Now, in order to sort of see this all for myself, I would have to mount dash o loop my DVD ISO and then we'll mount it to slash mnt slash uh, dvd. And now if I list 
slash mnt slash dvd. I see that I've got my a dot out and my demo, not there it is, test.cpp, but in addition to all that, I've got penguin.png, penguin.svg, kitchens.zip, uh, os.tar. Yeah, I've got a bunch of different things in here that, that wouldn't have been, you know, that weren't in my demo folder. So I've merged um, more data into an existing ISO, causing the ISO, the, the file system within that ISO to grow and encompass more files. That's useful, obviously. That's a good thing. Um, and that's how you use Grow ISOFS. There are more options for um, Grow ISOFS. I'm not going to cover them all. Uh, a lot of them are very specific to DVDs. So for instance, you can do a dash overburn, which deals with the, the different DVD layers. Uh, you can do a dash DVD compat to provide maximum media compatibility. And this is another problem, of course, with DVD dash R, DVD plus R, this whole, it, there was just this mess of, of different formats and different specifications that would or would not play in different kinds of players. It was just, a, it's a horrible, horrible place, uh, a horrible spot in, in computer history that we should all try to forget about. And these commands aren't helping us, but at least grow ISOFS is useful for self-contained little file systems that you can then grow or shrink as needed with grow ISOFS. I think that's about it for this episode. I know it wasn't necessarily the most exciting thing, although the BIOS BIOS uh, inquiries I thought were that was pretty cool. Um, and uh, Grow ISO FS is respectable for sure. So that's it. That's it for this episode. But more importantly, I feel that's it for the D section of the Slackware packages, uh, the Slackware uh, listing in the AP software set. So next up is Inscript, Flack. Ghost script, GPhoto, things like that. So we're getting into some exciting, exciting territories here. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.
keep away from the junkyard.